0: Well, the daily contents of, of what arrives in both our mailboxes and our email inboxes, right, they can often get broken down into maybe just a few very broad categories. So, so much of what we take out of there gets classified as basic junk mail, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's those credit card offers, the, the coupon books, and, and those flyers that promptly get tossed into the trash can very quickly. And then a second category might be the category of bills. Too many bills. or so many bills, right? There's bills from everywhere for everything, and those you may not want to throw them out. Well, you may want to, um, but you don't want to because those are kind of important to respond to. Um, but for the most part, uh, those are purely transactional, right? It's, it's kind of hard to get too excited about a computer-generated invoice. I don't know, at least for me. But there is that rare occasion uh, when you come across a hand-addressed envelope, right? And when you look at the return address, you see that it's from a friend that you haven't maybe connected with for, for too long of a time, um, Think about how refreshing it is to get a letter like that, or even in our computer age, a, a, something in your inbox from someone and not just a spam kind of, you know, junk mail kind of email. Um, if you can think about how, how that just quickens our hearts, uh, I'm glad because we're going to be reading through a letter like that uh, this summer. We're starting out this morning on a new series. Uh, It's called Side by Side. And we're going to be looking through the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the people that he cherished, um, people that he cherished and cared for at a church that he planted in a city called Philippi. And, And so many of the letters that Paul wrote Uh, they were written with the express purpose of addressing a specific issue or or to correct some kind of theological error that needed to be addressed. But Philippians, for the most part, is quite a bit different. If, If my math is right, then only 32 out of the 104 verses in this letter contain any kind of specific directive. Most of it is just Paul sharing his heart with these friends that he loves. He does have a few concerns to share that he, uh, he's going to speak into, but what's fascinating that is that he addresses those issues within the context of a cherished relationship. And so we're going to get the chance to see what that looks like, this, this gentleness and this genuineness that, that the gospel Generates in our lives. Uh, so, this, this book it does become a bit of a grid and, 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 a, and a blueprint that we can see of how to cultivate Christ centered relationships uh, with gentleness and the difference the gospel makes. That, that these are relationships that edify and build up instead of breaking down and tearing apart. And Let me just ask you, isn't that something we all need and long for? Relational connections with people who are interested in building us up and not tearing us apart. What we're going to find out is that the gospel, that faith in Christ gives us particular and specific tools in our relational toolboxes to do just that. And so we're going to get into them. So we're going to jump right in. If you have a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter one, and it's also going to be on the screen right behind me. And I am going to start out by reading the opening salutation of this letter. Now it's tempting to just kind of read right past it. These are just formalities. Now let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the meat. But we're not going to do that because I think what we're going to find is that even this Introduction is it's intentionally edifying, so let 's read it, and I 'll show you what I mean. It says this: Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I right, stop right there. Paul leads off this letter in a very interesting way. Instead of announcing his credentials as the apostolic authority, he doesn't do that. He he could have, because he was, and he could have just barged right in, flashed his badge, and said, all right, everybody, I'm in charge. Listen up. But that's not how... That's how he rolls. That's not how he rolls in this letter. And it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he doesn't have something on his mind to say. At this point, he seems a lot less interested in them listening to him than he is with them maybe looking at him and seeing and learning from him in a different way. He's modeling something here for them. He's he's modeling this other-oriented lifestyle, this Christ-centered lifestyle that, uh, that in the following chapter, he's going to go on and actually address in a more direct way, um, but here he's modeling it first. You see, here's the idea, is that a lot of times um, we forget that our lives speak, not just our words, right? And, and so often, faith and maturity is caught just as much as it's taught. And oftentimes it's caught before it's ever taught, or at least that is the way it ought to be. So this past week, uh, we had a, a church membership class. It was uh, exploring membership, and we had a, a great group of people who came and, and tried to understand and unpack what does it mean to be meaningfully connected um, to a local church, and uh, And we had a great time, and talked about it 's more than just putting your name on a membership roll and and voting and stuff like that but with with membership um, come both opportunities privileges and and expectations and in jesus 's church, a lot of times it 's a lot more of the expectations there 's responsibilities uh, that come. And so even here, Paul talks about himself, even though he's the best, he's the biggest, he's the leading authority, he, he describes himself as a servant. And, uh, and, and so one of the things that we spoke about is that, uh, at our membership class was that for those of you who, who choose to connect, um, that you have an invitation now to park your car in the back, instead of in the front. Uh, there's an opportunity to come into and be a part of this church with a bigger view of just seeing what can I get out of it, but to see what opportunities can I have, can I take advantage of to participate, to serve, to live out the mission of this church. And one real simple way is by just driving a couple of extra feet to the back of the park and not to make space and serve those who may be coming for the first time. So they don't have to drive quite so far. And before I ever said a thing about that, I've had the chance from day one to just quietly and uh, consistently get here first, maybe second or third. Adam usually gets here before me. I try to beat him here every Sunday morning, and I just can't seem to do it. Um, and I get the chance to just park at the farthest away parking spot, uh, it's kind of the way the kingdom works. With, with, with greater authority comes greater opportunity uh, to serve. Some of you know that I am a big fan of one of the least liked sports on the planet, which is bike racing. Um, and it's a very exciting time for me because the Tour de France started two days ago. It started in Denmark. It's uh, in Denmark till today. And then tomorrow, I believe, it, it goes into France, actually. But on the first day, it was a very exciting day. No, not really. It was exciting for me. Diane was like, "Can we finish watching this, please? This is when is this going to end?" But um, it was only a 15-mile time trial, and this one guy who was not expected to win, he won it. He put on the—they uh, call it the Mayo jaune. It's I don't, my French is not very good, so I don't know if I said that right. But it's the yellow jersey, and this is the premier thing. To wear a yellow jersey basically makes you a celebrity for life in Europe. You will never again go into uh, a restaurant, um, and if they know who you are, you won't pay for your bill. Uh, You will always have people coming up to you. And this guy put on the yellow jersey. He's there at the grandstands. He's crying. He's so overjoyed. But the next day, yesterday, uh, was stage two, and his team had plans for someone else to take the sprint stage. And so They asked this guy who won the yellow jersey, what are you gonna do tomorrow? Because he had the opportunity. I can hold on to the yellow jersey and stay in yellow one more day. But he said, no, tomorrow I ride for this guy, um, the sprinter on our team. And I am there to set him up, to serve him so he wins. And that's what he did. He served him, he gave up the yellow jersey, and his teammate won the stage. All right, enough about the Tour de France. You're probably going to hear about it a few more times in the next few weeks. I'm just warning you in advance. Uh, But Paul here, he intentionally identifies himself. He identifies his ministry partner, Timothy, in the meagerest way possible. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. They're servants, yeah, he's an apostolic authority, but now I'm a servant. And while he makes so little about himself, take a look at just how much he makes of these precious people that he's writing to. Did you notice who this letter gets addressed to? To the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. He identifies them as saints. So in other words, he grabs hold of the greatest title he can find and he pins it on them. These are special people. These are significant people. These are people who matter. You know, the literal translation of saint is a holy one. And he reminds them that title belongs to to you. Saint is a status that's theirs to grab hold of. And through faith in Christ, that title is there for you and for me to grab hold of as well. It's not because of anything epic that we've done for the sake of the faith, right? That's not what makes you a saint. Being a saint is simply the byproduct of being in Christ. It's the identity that gets applied to us by grace, which is what the passage opens up talking about, because not of anything we do, but because of Jesus and the epic act that he accomplished for us on the cross. And so do you see here what Paul is doing? He is getting at the heart of who Jesus sees them as and what his transforming grace has turned these friends of his that he loves into. You see, on the surface, they may appear as flawed, imperfect, ordinary people, but he knows better. He's looking at them through the lens of who they are in Christ. And he announces that reality onto their lives. He reminds them, what the grace of God and Jesus Christ has turned them into, anything but ordinary. You know, I wonder if there may be some some cherished people in your life who might need that kind of affirmation from you, Who, who need to know that you're looking at them through the lens of grace, that you see who they are in Christ, Maybe these are people who are living under your roof. Maybe they're people who go to your church. Whatever the setting, there may be someone in your life who needs to know that you see beyond their imperfections and their shortcomings. And when you look at them, you see the same thing Jesus sees. So just for the record, we don't need to wonder about that, right? We all need that. We all need those reminders. Some of our souls may be starving to hear it because here's the reality. There are so many ways on a daily basis that we get beat up, we get trashed, and we get broken apart. How much do we need to know that there's someone who sees who I am in Christ, someone who looks at us through that lens of grace and sees This is someone who's cherished, who's forgiven, who's accepted, who's loved, who's holy in the sight of God. See, there may be no better way to build up those that we care for than by speaking that truth and pouring it onto the landscape of each other's lives. Before we tell each other what to do, let's remember to remind each other who we are who we are in Christ, and let's speak that into each other's lives by the things that we say, by the things that we do, by making it a little bit less about us, and maybe just a little bit more about them. And and by the way, I, I would tell you, this is the measure of spiritual maturity, right? So don't measure your spiritual maturity based on how many answers on a theological quiz, you can get right. Doctrinal precision, right? It's good, but until we take those truths and we apply them in a relational life, that's what maturity looks like. This is what Paul's laying out here in this letter. He's setting the stage for it. And he goes on and and, and he writes about some of the recent trips that he's been making, He's been taking some trips down memory lane, and and when he recalls the times that he shared with these cherished friends of his in the past, that it makes a difference in his present. It causes him to rejoice and thank God in the here and now. So let's keep on reading and, and see what he writes. He says, "This I thank God in all my remembrance of you." and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. All right, so here's, here's where we first find out about the very specific setting that Paul is writing this letter from. Did you catch it? Right? He talks about being imprisoned. Yeah, that's where he is. He's actually residing in a Roman prison cell. As he's writing this letter to Philippians. So so you might say that Paul's condition may have been just a little bit less than what he wanted it to be. You, you you might say that he wasn't at this moment living his best life now, except for one thing. By the way he's writing, you'd never know it. You see, he refused to become a casualty of his condition and here once again he is modeling this attitude of contentment that later on in this letter he is going to go out and specifically call his philippian friends to adopt for themselves but before he does that he models it so a little bit of advance warning this book of philippians it has a way of calling out the cranky pants in us be warned right? The cranky, you know what I'm talking about, right? When, when things aren't panning out according to our plans and our expectations, how tempting is it to just put on the cranky pants? And here I am, Captain Cranky Pants has arrived in the building and I'm going to whine and I'm going to complain and I'm going to spread my irateness about everyone and everything because they're not cooperating with me and my agenda, See, so here's what we're going to find. There are some greater realities that God calls us to grab hold of. And those realities present themselves oftentimes in the middle of these unfortunate circumstances that we find ourselves in. Right? And, and so Paul here, he's, he's setting the standard. Here's the bar here's the things that I am leaning into. Here's the realities that I'm grabbing hold of in the midst of my own challenging time staying at this prison in a Roman dungeon. One of the realities is the reality of God's sovereignty. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in another week or so, but for now, let me just put it this way. God is the one who's in charge. And what that means is that You're not, and I'm not. If that's news to you, I'm sorry to break it to you. It's the sovereignty of God, and that concept is not meant to be some kind of abstract theological just attraction for us to affirm. Don't let it be that. This is a transforming truth to embrace because here's the thing. If you get that, if you let it sink in, that truth has the power to turn crankiness into contentment. So, you might have noticed that life is a little bit bigger than us, it's a little bigger and beyond us. So, for example, things break, people get sick, friends leave, loved ones pass away, jobs get lost. We can go on and continue the daily examples of the reality that we're confronted with on a daily basis, that this world is a bigger place than the abilities that we have to control it. There are so many factors that are beyond you and beyond me, but here's what the sovereignty of God means. There is not a single factor in your life that is beyond him. See, I, I love this verse, Philippians 1 6 is one of my favorite verses. I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. If you've got your Bible with you, I want to invite you to underline it, highlight it, put it on a piece of paper, memorize it, rest assured that no matter what the situation looks like in your life, be it good, bad, or ugly, your life hasn't slipped out of God's hands. He is still in charge. He is still at work. And unlike so many of the projects that we start but never finish, he is committed to finishing what he starts. And so what happens when that reality sinks in? frustration and irritation can can melt away into anticipation there's something that God wants to do here and here's the thing what's true on a micro level it also applies it applies on the macro level as well so here's the thing the leading front page headline for the apostle paul the most critical reality he woke up to each morning Was the same thing. And for you and I, the most urgent reality of the Christian life, it's the same today as it was yesterday, and it is every day. Do you know what it is? Jesus is coming back. Paul describes it this way He says, The day of Jesus Christ. It's on the calendar. We don't know when it is, but it is on God's calendar. And that day is a big deal in this letter. And you know what? It's meant to be a big deal in our daily lives. Bigger than any other headline. All of human history is ultimately ultimately leading up to that day. And so know this, when, when things aren't going according to our plan, um, even when you're sitting in a dark Roman dungeon, our lives and this world is not out of control. They are both in his strong hands, and rest assured, his grip does not slip. That's sovereignty. And there's a second resource here that Paul talks about that he is leaning into, and he's leaning into the resource of Gratitude. On a relational level, Paul describes this intentional gratefulness he has for these faithful Philippian friends that God has placed in his life. And so, yeah, his setting is not the best, but he remembers. He takes some trips down memory lane, and he remembers that, yeah, we've partnered together. We have done life together. We have done ministry together. And you guys have been, for me, faithful friends And he's right, these Philippian friends had stood by Paul through thick and through thin. A lot of that story is told in the book of Acts. And here's the thing, when Paul got sent to prison and his Philippian friends couldn't be there with him physically, they sent a messenger, they sent an envoy, someone who would deliver to him in this dark, dismal time of his life some kind of special gift. His name is Epaphroditus, Epaphras, We're going to read about him in a couple of chapters. Um, And they delivered to him something refreshing, something beautiful. And, And this letter that we're looking at is Paul's reply. Philippians is really his thank you letter. He tells him, I am so incredibly thankful to God for you, that you mean so much to me. I hold you in my heart, and it's right for me to feel this way about you. You see, instead of griping, Paul chose gratitude. And here's the thing, gratitude doesn't take our burdens away, but it does something else. It enlarges our vision. It helps us to see that life is more than the burdens that we're dealing with. They are there, they are real, but there's more than that because there's also blessings that God has placed in our lives right now even in the most unfortunate of situations. And so he's telling us, he's showing us by the way that he's, he's responding to his situation don't wait until your burdens are all gone. Don't wait until everything in life falls into place before you start counting your blessings, before you start thanking God and finding joy in them. Do it now. Do it right now. Right now is the right time. Create space to be intentionally grateful. And I think Paul's onto something here because he doesn't just thank you for your gift. He doesn't say, you know, it's the stuff that you've given me that matters. He doesn't thank God for the setting that he's in directly. He doesn't thank God for the situation. He is grateful for these faithful friends people are the most precious thing right so let's make sure we're making time to remember them and thanking God for them and and finding joy in them so here in this opening salutation we've seen servants and saints and then we've looked at recalling and rejoicing and to close this out this salutation out paul shares about how he's been praying for these friends of his he says this and And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There it is again, uh, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, we all have gaps in our lives. We have these gaps between what our lives look like right now and what God ultimately intends them to be. It's it's not necessarily anything wrong with that. It's not a bad thing. It just means that we are all still works in progress. There's always room for growth in all of our lives. None of us have arrived. And like a good friend... Paul has some level of awareness about here's what some of those gaps look like in my friends' lives. And we're going to get a little bit more of a of, 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 of detail on it, but there's some selfishness that's there. There's, there's a little bit of conflict brewing in this church. There's, there's some ongoing irritation, and these are issues. Part of God's purpose for, for relationships Christ-centered relationships is that we would be able to come alongside each other, that we'd help close those gaps. The question is, how do we do it? What's our strategy? Take note of the way Paul goes about it. He prays for his friends. He's been praying for them. Instead Instead of talking to them about their problems... He's been praying to God about their progress. What, what a beautiful thing! What a great strategy! Pray to God more for the progress of those that you love and care for. Maybe more than talking to them about all the problems. The problems are there, and now I've got a reminder of that line because yesterday I was on the bike trail. I'm riding my bike. I'm going for a long line, long ride, and. Uh, I get some of my best inspiration when I'm alone on the bike and the breeze is hitting me. And I'm on the bike trail and I thought about that. Pray about their progress instead of talking to them about their problems. So I took out my phone. I got, I'm riding still. I didn't stop riding. And I, I take out the notes app and I, I start hitting the, you know, the voice button so I can speak into it. And it's also raining out, by the way. Um, I got caught in a storm. Long story short... My phone went flying and I picked it up and now I got a crack in the bottom of the screen of my phone, which will be a never-ending reminder for me to pray more for people's progress than to go to them about their problems. Paul in this letter opens up, he says, guys, let me tell you what I've been praying for you about. I want you to know I'm praying that your love would abound, that you'd be able to discern what's best from all the rest, that you'd live lives that are fruitful, that are, that are holy, that make a kingdom impact and that honor Christ. So, you know, for the people in your life, the ones that you are close enough with to get a sense of some of those gaps, ask yourself, is this big enough of an issue that I have to pull the fire alarm, right? And I have to throw on a head-on confrontation about this? Or just maybe, just maybe, is this something that the Holy Spirit has allowed to be revealed to me so that I can know how I can pray for this precious person in my life. Maybe when the time's right, I could share with them, hey, here's how I've been praying for you. You know, last time I checked, criticism doesn't show up on the spiritual gift list, right? Being able to point out each other's flaws, it really doesn't make us insightful, I've learned from personal experience that most of the time it makes us annoying. And, uh, and so here's the thing. If your idea of bringing, being like Jesus, if that's bringing out more of the jerkiness in you, you might want to go back and think that one through again. So this brings us to the end of the beginning of this incredible letter to the Philippians. And we've got a lot of forward progress to go. But let me close with this. What might happen in our lives, in our families, in our friendships, in our church, if we we kind of took a cue from Paul, if we followed his lead and we sought to serve, if, if we see the people we cherished as in Christ through that lens of grace and call that out in their lives, if, if we cultivate contentment in the place of crankiness, and maybe if we just pray a little more and point out everyone's problems just a little bit less. What could happen if we were intentionally gentle, incredibly edifying, and unequivocally hopeful. And we brought that presence into each other's lives. The power of one person who sees, who believes, and who speaks what God is doing into another person's life. It's hard to even measure, isn't it? I love that Paul says in that verse, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus you know why he said that, I think? Because they weren't sure of it. Well, oftentimes, we're not sure about God's work in our own lives. We've, we're, we're, we're insecure about it. And that's why God gives us each other to speak hope, into each other's lives, to build each other up. And so as we enter into each other's lives, let's be careful to not bring in the presence of the Legion of Doom, right? Let's bring in the presence of just beacons of hope and see all that God wants to do. Let's pray together.